the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, July 10th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I took a few days off early this week. You might have noticed that there were mostly guest commentaries on the Shift Gold website, but gold and silver did not take a vacation this week. In fact, on Wednesday, the yellow metal pushed through the key $1,800 per ounce level. Now, gold futures have been above $1,800 for about a week, but this is the first time the spot price has eclipsed that level since 2011. It held through the day on Thursday, and it's at about $1,807 right now as I'm recording this podcast. So it does appear that gold is consolidating above that $1,800 level. The resurgence of coronavirus has led many areas of the country to shut down again. That's a worst-case scenario for those hoping for the mythical V-shaped recovery. And this is spurring a lot of safe haven demand. As Michael Hewson, who is the chief market analyst at CMC Markets UK, put it, investors are hedging their exposure to riskier assets simply because there's a growing and widening belief that any recovery is unlikely to be V-shaped. Markets generally tend to operate through a prism of optimism, and that optimism is being tested at the moment, and gold is benefiting from that. But, you know, I think it should be pretty obvious that this is not just a case of safe haven buying. Central banks have pumped trillions of dollars into the economy, driving real yields below zero. I've talked extensively about this monetary Hail Mary on the podcast. The crazy thing is we are nowhere near the end of this extraordinary monetary policy. In fact, there's speculation that they're going to have to do even more as the recovery lags. As Ron Paul put it in an article that I ran on the website this week, the Fed is getting desperate. And it's going to get more desperate if we start to see the economic numbers slip. And I think we all know the economic numbers are going to slip at some point. I mean, yes, we should expect some type of recovery as we go from the complete shutdown of March and April. But I mean, We got another 1.3 million jobless claims this week, and the mainstream business media was trying to run around and act like this was some kind of great news because it was just a tad below what they projected. I mean, think about this for a minute. Every week, well over a million people are filing for unemployment still. The V-shaped recovery is going to end up being like Bigfoot, much talked about, never seen. Anyway, given the monetary policy that I've talked about ad nauseum, gold has a long way to run up. It's not just about safe haven buying because of the resurgence of coronavirus. But it is fair to ask, what's the difference between now and 2011, right? We saw this big run after the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, Gold got up to $1,900 an ounce, and then it tanked. Why shouldn't we expect gold to maybe hit the 2000 level and then sell off? Why should we think it can climb significantly above this resistance level? Well, a lot has happened in nine years, specifically a lot of money printing. But as I said, it is a fair question. How is this different than 2011? 
Well, in the first place, gold hit 1900 a full two years after the 08 crash. We're still in the midst of the 2020 crash. I mean, we're early in this crisis, whether people acknowledge it now or not, V-shaped recovery notwithstanding. And as I've talked about before, I don't think people are going to buy the notion that the Fed is ever going to exit from this insane monetary policy. You know, that was kind of the spin back in 2008. 8, 9, 10, you know, we're going to do this quantitative easing, we're going to do all of this money printing, but at some point we're going to normalize everything. Well, you know, that was a big fat fail, again, as I've talked about on several episodes of the podcast. And as Peter talked about in his podcast, gold has climbed to this level from a much more solid foundation. It's been a gradual climb really since 2015. I talked about that last week. So there's a solid base to work off of. You know, 1500 seems to be the absolute bottom of that base. Remember, gold bottomed at just over 1000 after its record. I think our base is a good $500 higher. So at 1800 we're still only about $300 above a massive seven-year support that's been building in the market. We didn't have that in 2011. So in a nutshell, there is a firm foundation that's been built over time to serve as a basis for a long bull run. I'll tell you this, the investment demand for gold right now is absolutely red hot. The World Gold Council recently released its June data for ETF gold inflows. Gold-backed funds closed out the first half of 2020 with their seventh consecutive month of inflows and significantly above the highest level of annual inflows, both in tonnage and U.S. dollar terms. Globally, gold-backed funds added 104 tons of gold to their holdings in June alone. Global holdings now stand at an all-time high of 3,621 tons. For the first half of 2020, global net inflows came in at 734 tons and a record of $40 billion. The World Gold Council put that level of ETF gold demand into into some historical perspective. According to the WGC, H1 inflows are significantly higher than the multi-decade record level of central bank net purchases seen in 2018 and 2019 and could absorb a comparable amount of about 45% of global gold production in the first half of 2020. So almost half of the gold that has been produced this year has flowed into ETFs. In just six months, ETFs have already eclipsed the previous yearly inflow records of 646 tons in 2009 or 23 billion in 2016. So in other words, we've done a record annual level of gold inflows in just six months. The WGC report also has some uh, information on price performance. Gold was up about 2% in U.S. dollars in June, reaching its highest level since October 2012. And the yellow metal continued to outperform other major asset classes. It has gained more than 17% over the first half of 2020. According to the WGC, this compares with global stocks, which remain below the level they started out the year, and broader commodities represented by the S&P G. SCI, which are down 20 to 30% year to date. Oil continues to be one of the worst performing assets this year, down by nearly 34%. I keep a pretty close eye on these ETF gold inflows because they are a significant aspect of global demand. Of course, they push overall global demand higher as these ETFs uh, take in metal. 
Just a quick review for folks who may not be familiar. ETFs are backed by physical gold held by the issuer, and they're traded on the market like stocks. Some people call them uh, paper gold. They allow investors to play gold without having to buy full ounces of metal at spot price. Since their purchase is just a number in a computer, they can trade their investments into another stock or cash very quickly uh, whenever they want, even multiple times on the same day. So a lot of speculative investors investors like this liquidity. Now, there are good reasons to invest in ETFs, but they are not a substitute for owning physical metal. In an overall investment strategy, Shift Gold always recommends buying gold bullion first. When considering gold-backed ETFs, you should always keep in mind that you don't actually own the gold. Buying the most common ETFs does not entitle you to any actual amount of precious metal. So, you know, they're a valuable investment tool, but they're not the same as owning metal. And if you're interested in this, want to know the difference uh, in a little more detail and, and what might be best for you, uh, always recommend talking to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. So, we talked about gold. What about silver? Well, it's been running up as well. In fact, it's gained about a dollar this week alone. And silver futures actually pushed above $19 an ounce. The spot price is trading at around $18.75 an ounce as I record the podcast. But it still hasn't closed the gap with gold. The silver-gold ratio is still just over 96 to 1. That means silver is still historically way undervalued compared to gold. Keep in mind, the ratio has been between about 40 and 60 to 1 through the modern period. So 96 to 1, way out of whack. It's basically what we call silver on sale. Again, undervalued compared to gold. But there are some signs of life in the fundamentals of the silver market. According to the Silver Institute, investment demand for silver was up about 10% through the first half of 2020. Silver ETFs have been gobbling up metal just like the gold-backed funds. As of June 30th, global holdings reached a fresh all-time high of 925 million ounces. That's roughly 14 months of mine supply. ETF growth in the first half of 2020 was 196 million ounces. That surpassed the highest annual inflow of 149 million ounces set in 2009. So like gold, silver ETFs have taken in as much metal uh, as the last annual record. Retail bullion coin sales jumped by an estimated 60% year-on-year through the first half of 2020, and silver bar sales have also been very solid. On the supply side of the equation, that's also bullish for silver. Global silver mine supply is expected to continue its decline. Temporary production stoppages due to the COVID-19 in several significant silver mining countries has exacerbated the supply situation. Uh, If you've been following the silver market, you'll know that silver supply has dropped, I think, four straight years. Even with most of the mining operations now back online, global silver mine production is forecast to slip by about 7% on the year. All of that to say that fundamentals are bullish for silver. And again, if history is any indicator, that silver-gold ratio is going to close at some point. Silver has a long way to run up. And keep in mind, silver has historically outperformed gold in a gold bull market. I want to touch on the war on cash. 
cash to close out this show. You've probably heard about the nationwide coin shortage. Uh, I was at Lowe's the other day and they had a sign on the register, please use exact change or another form of payment. From what I've read, they're blaming this on a combination of falling mint production due to uh, shutdowns with the coronavirus and also a change in spending habits. A lot of people are buying more online and also just shopping patterns have shifted. So coins aren't circulating in the same way that they used to. People seem to be holding on to their change. Um, At least that's what we're being told. Now, I don't have any evidence to the contrary, but... I gotta admit, I'm a little skeptical. This is a dream scenario for war on cash warriors. And there are a lot of war on cash warriors in the government because if they can get us to quit using cash, that means more control. Last month, we reported that the Chinese government has launched a pilot program for a digital version of the yuan. I think I talked about this on the podcast. In fact, the virtual currency ups the ante in the war on cash, and it creates the potential for the government to track and even control consumer spending in China. Of course, China isn't alone in using COVID-19 as an excuse to push people away from physical cash. Other countries are pushing the narrative to drive the movement toward a completely digital economy, uh, one where governments can track and control, like I said. The war on cash has been going on for years, but the pandemic has put efforts on hyperdrive. Uh, you know, in the past, they've sold it as we need to to you know, get rid of cash because criminals use it, et cetera, et cetera. It can hide, you know, from taxes or whatever. But now they're selling it as a health issue. You know, cash is dirty, don't you know? In May, the World Economic Forum published an article in its global agenda strongly supporting the mass adoption of digital payments for the sake of public health. Uh, In it, the authors argued that contactless digital payments at the point of sale, such as facial recognition, quick response, which QR codes, or near-field communications can make it less likely for the virus to spread to others through cash exchanges. I don't know. Sounds kind of like George Orwell's worst nightmare, right? The report also applauded the efforts in China in digitalizing payments and appeared to hold the country and its measures as a model to be emulated. Quote, China's path to enabling digital payments should provide some lessons for other countries eager to follow suit. Yeah, they'll be eager, all right. China has, after all, taken big brothering to the highest level in the world. So, yeah, it's really creepy. You know, when you start talking about facial recognition, uh, surveillance, tracking, all of these things are made possible possible with the war on cash. So I'm always skeptical of the excuses that they give. They've been pushing this for decades. They would love to get us to quit using cash. You can't hide a digital payment under your mattress. Uh, It's just more control. So be wary of the war on cash. Always remember, governments almost always have an agenda behind the benevolent talking points that they parade out to the public. And that agenda is rarely, actually, I feel safe in saying never, good for individual liberty or personal autonomy. Government wants control. So I'm going to wrap that up. Remember, if you want to get more information about what's going on in the gold and silver market, how you can tap into it, how it can benefit your portfolio. After all, we're all different. Our investment needs are different. You can always talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can shoot them an email at info at shiftgold.com. They can help you out, personalize that, be prepared for what's coming down the pipe. 
So that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com slash news. And if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes, uh, on Google Play, on Stitcher, and also at the Shift Gold YouTube channel. Always appreciate you listening to the show. And uh, that's it. I'll talk to you next time.